Salam everyone and welcome to the first episode of Back from Fajr. In this episode, we will be discussing how women are depicted in Islam and the implications culture has on our own self-perception and how we're expected to act and carry ourselves. In order to explore this topic, the episode will progress in the following format. In part one, I will be discussing a prominent female figure in Islam, Khadija bint Khwalid radiallahu anha the first follower of the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, and his first wife, highlighting her remarkable features and the current cultural differences that we encounter. In the second part, I will be conversing with my co-host, where we'll discuss our personal experiences living as Muslim women and the hurdles we've overcome, whether it be personally inflicted or cultural. A bit of a disclaimer, we are not scholars. We are just sharing our knowledge and experiences. Now let's get into the episode. On deciding what the first matter that should be discussed, I recalled a hadith I had heard several times in my youth. Seeking knowledge is an obligation upon every Muslim. However, the context I had always heard this was in relation to my studies rather than pursuing knowledge with regards to my faith. After many moments of oscillation, I desired to cultivate a personal relationship with my religion, my starting point being one of the four greatest women ever created, Khadija bint Khwalid. So a bit of a background on Khadija radiallahu anha. She was born in 565 AD, 565 AD. Uh, I don't know how to um, pronounce the year. But moving on, her father, Khuwaylid ibn Asad, was a merchant. After his passing, Khadija assumed responsibility for the family business, which thrived under her lead. Through how she conducted her affairs, she was granted the title Tahira the pure one, within the Quraysh. It was through her actions that she earned this title. Khadija was noble and pure-hearted. She habitually clothed and fed the poor while sustaining her family financially. She was distinct from her tribe in regards to religious worship. She never believed nor worshipped idols and was the first to convert to Islam. It is evident that Khadija attained her nickname on the grounds of her character rather than on the basis of her virginity. The concept of purity within Muslim communities has been associated to a woman's worth and in many cases, the family's honor. This notion impacts how many young Muslim girls perceive themselves, where their duty to maintain abstinence and modesty before marriage is commodified to uphold honor rather than gently taught as a way to fulfill your duty to your creator. It is especially harmful to female Muslim divorcees who are sometimes classified as damaged goods, when in fact Khadija was married twice before the Prophet, with both husbands passing away. Her principles, values, and how she was perceived transcended the state of her body. In contrast to how women are expected to conduct themselves within our culture now, Khadija was assertive and independent in her affairs. She hired the Prophet to work for her and sent him on trade missions. When her servant told her about the Prophet's character, she sought out her friend to approach him on her behalf and arrange a marriage between them. The Prophet responded to Nufaysa, daughter of Umayyah, by saying he has no means to marry, in which he responded, If you were given the means, and if you were bidden to an alliance where there is beauty, wealth, nobility, and abundance, would you not then consent? The Prophet stated he was willing, and then they were married. Supported by Khadija's financial resources and companionship, the Prophet found the stability and time to devote himself to spiritual quest, eventually leading to the first revelation of the Qur'an. 
their relationship can test the gender roles enforced by our cultures currently. Khadija's tenacity was admired rather than shunned to being submissive, and was with these characteristics of hers that she could aid the Prophet in his journey. Khadija's financial independence assisted the Prophet's spreading of Islam by funding the movement. It is not far off to say that Khadija's wealth and business experience was of importance to the security of the Muslim community and the spread of Islam. In the house of Khadija, new Muslims were received. They were fed and lessons were conducted there. As the Prophet continued to spread the message of Islam, they were met with opposition. One of the forms was via economic sanctions, the refusal to trade with the Muslims. Throughout this harsh time period, Khadija continued to provide her financial support. In fact, her entire wealth had been spent to promote Islam. Their partnership was an embodiment of mutual respect and spiritual support. The Prophet always regarded her as an equal, and she offered him support in his time of need. After the first revelation, the Prophet sought out Khadija as a source of comfort. He came to her shaking in fear, and she covered him until he was at ease. During this moment of distress, Khadija reassured him that God would never humiliate him. She continued to fulfill her role as a partner who was supportive in all times of struggle, that when she passed, the Prophet said, I was blessed with loving her. She believed in me when others disbelieved. She called me truthful when others called me a liar. She supported me with her wealth when others refused. And Allah blessed me with children by her when he withheld them through all other women. Her death, along with Abu Talib's, commenced his year of sorrow. All of this is to say that Khadija is a source of admiration. To strive to achieve her traits and not be confined to cultural limitations we might have been exposed to as women is to be liberated with Islam. Often, Khadija's role is distorted by our own community, either as an act of suppression or a false illustration of empowerment, where she's depicted as an obedient figure or a businesswoman rather than portraying her as someone who carries a multitude of traits that coexist. Sometimes these are not with ill intent. But to contain her to a singular role is an inaccurate depiction. Khadija is a display of autonomy, economic independence, and initiative, while simultaneously being a source of comfort and support for the Prophet and his spreading of Islam. Okay, so now that Allah has provided the context of Sayyidah Khadija radiallahu anha, we're going to move on to discuss our own experiences dealing with cultural norms and the gender role of a woman in society. Not, not really what Islam is telling us to do, but basically what is accepted, what is expected from us as women culturally. Because they usually conflate that as being part of the religious expectation of women. So firstly, do you want to talk about Khadija first? Do, like, I, do I want to talk about Khadija? Do we want to talk about Khadija? Um, like, what I mean, does she sure. mean to us? Sure. I mean, like, I think before I answer that question, when I first came up with the topic for this episode, unlike the future episodes to come, I already had, like, a general idea about Khadija or, and the role that she played and, um, and her characteristics. But the purpose of the episode is more so, like, to dedicate... Or to em- like to emphasize Khadija's importance within mm-hmm. Islam and and what she portrays to other Muslim women, mm-hmm. and just dedicating an entire episode to her is supposed to highlight her significance. Yeah. So, 
When I was researching, the two most important things that stuck out to me is how she was praised for her business mm-hmm. skills and how she was the money maker within her family. And that was okay. Like, it wasn't a, um, what was the word? Like, it wasn't... Like, Abe? Not Abe. Like a disgrace? No, like, it wasn't... It wasn't a shock within the community. Yeah, it wasn't out of the norm. It was, yeah, it wasn't yeah. out of the norm for them. But we've regressed somehow. Yeah, yeah, we have. <laughs> Where now, when there's, like, a woman running a business, it's, like, a really big deal. Like, I'm a woman, and I run a business. When it shouldn't be that way. Yeah, it but, shouldn't. But we've somehow regressed so that now we're we're praising something that should just be the norm. Yeah. So that was one thing that stuck out to me. The other was... Wait, um, about the about the earlier point, she hmm. was also wealthy, like from a noble family. I guess what I'm trying to say is that she was a moneymaker even before her dad died. And then her the business thrived even more after her dad's death and when she took over. So it just like, it just shows, I guess. <laughs> what did you... <laughs> it, it just shows that, I don't know, I don't know why people even deny, like, I don't know why sexism is, is even a thing. Like, why are we regressing, you know? Self-sexism. <laughs> I mean, I guess that leads into, gen- like, I guess most women are expected to just get married and then... They, they can they can be housewives if they want to. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with being yeah, a yeah. housewife. Yeah, because that has its own responsibilities, like running a household. But I think we've gone to a point where the role where a woman is sort of that's expected. The only, that's the only path. Yeah, where a woman yeah. is expected. Even if you do a career, if you pursue a career, you you're eventually it. expected to be a yeah. housewife. Which is not okay. Because you've removed the choice aspect yeah. It's like it's one a, choice. Yeah, the, like, it's just, this is just your determined life path. No. Yeah. No. <laughs> I mean, my mom, I guess my mom, like, stopped working after she got married. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, some, like, I don't want to do that. <laughs> or, like, like, why am I pursuing, edu- like, why am I pursuing a university degree and maybe master's as well? If I'm not going to keep working on it for the rest of my life. I mean, you can change, obviously, but it just feels really boring if you don't want to be a housewife or just, uh, it just feels like you're letting something go when you get married. Yeah, or you're you're compromising. Yeah, you're compromising. On your own life goals. Because obviously you're there self- is compromise in marriage, but, yeah. you're, but you're compromising on your own, like, existence. Like a large part of you. Yeah, because for me, when my mom studied, like... Mm-hmm. She graduated from university, and she stopped. I don't think she ended up working afterwards. It had nothing to do with um, my dad telling her not to, which is equally important. Like you have to, your husband or or whoever you end up marrying has to have has to support you as a spouse, which is what Prophet Muhammad did for Khadija. Like she was the one who was funding the movement. So without. It isn't, as I said in the context bit, it's really not far off to say that Khadija's existence and her role as the provide, like the money provider, if that was not there. She's like indispensable. Yeah, it's like the role that she played was like, yeah, it was important. It was vital. By the way, I think, I think they like enforce this agenda of making women like housewives because I guess men are, are like, it's fault for them to provide for the family. 
whatever like extra the woman provides is like for herself. So I don't know. I guess um, you need to. It is it is for for the men to provide, but that doesn't nullify the woman. Yeah. What, like like in Shawnlaw when when I'm married and I have a job. <laughs> Like, I would want to also contribute financially to the, to the family. Yeah. But I also understand, like, my mom's reason for not pursuing career was because she wanted to be there to raise, like, she wanted to be there mm-hmm. entirely in our, like, in our lives and not be distracted by any, yeah. um, by anything else, basically. Mm-hmm. Which is obviously noble and very admirable. Mm-hmm. Um, but simultaneously, I don't think that role should just fall on the woman. Like, my dad, mashallah. Like, he also, like, took part, like, even though he was busy with his PhD, he would still, like, help my mom. So it's not really an excuse or it's not a justification just because you're the money maker to mm-hmm. not take part in your children's lives and household duties. Yeah. Because both, that's, like, almost, it's almost dismissing the role that the wife is playing within the household if the father or it's the absent. husband doesn't doesn't bother to contribute yeah. because he's just assuming that this is something that she can do single-handedly. Yeah. Being a couple or having a family is a joint task. Yeah. It can't be half in, half out. (laughs) Anyway. (laughs) Okay, so all of this being said, what impact has this had on your relationship with religion? The way culture has skewed women's roles and conflated it with religion. Like, has that had any impact? I mean, personally, it wasn't that prominent in my family. Thankfully, alhamdulillah. Um, like, I wasn't... I was... Me and my siblings were all expected to perform and excel academically, as with an Egyptian family, I guess. <laughs> yeah, fair. <laughs> yeah. yeah, both of us. So, um, I don't think my dad ever, like, mentioned marriage to me. My dad is the most woman rights activist yeah, by the way, that I've ever met. Yeah. Way. Mashallah, yeah. Because... Yeah. Um, I mean, he only mentioned it once, and it was, like, a sad tone. He's like, so you're going to get married and leave, <laughs> and leave the house? Aww. You're going to leave me all alone. So, um, so, yeah, it's not happening for a while. <laughs> no, but I don't, think, I don't think it has impacted my religion. It's just that every time I hear something, something, like, about how women are supposed to act, I have to, like, go and check it again because I know... I know that culture usually, like, um... Distorts? Yeah, it distorts how females are supposed to act. And just, like, you know, like, caging the female should just be caged and covered and... Do you get what I'm saying? Yeah, I guess. It's all, like, very overprotective. But there's also, like... Like, Islam has provided that for you, but also... Within reason. Yeah, in in different ways. Mm -hmm. And you also provide that... You provide that protection for yourself and you show your faith. But I don't think it, it should come as in, in the way that it does. Because it usually comes at the expense of like women's... Your identity. In, yeah, women's identity and yeah. their individuality. Exactly. Because even um, <clears throat> like when you were talking, like, alhamdulillah, my family's the same. They haven't, like, they're incredibly supportive. Alhamdulillah, really understanding. But for me, it hasn't really impacted my religion mm. negatively. It's always just been positively because... I usually see these really stupid posts on my Instagram page, on my Explore page at the time. There were a lot of Instagram accounts that were 
presumably Islamic because they were providing Islamic advice. Mm -hmm. But the way they portrayed the religion, I was like, no way are we practicing the same religion. There was especially one post. I don't think I sent it to you. But there was one post where they always, this always, always happens. Where they always portray the wife as some dumb, like, submissive woman. And then the guy has to guide her and he's like some alpha male. And I'm like... What is this Wattpad stuff? I'm like, we both follow the same religion. We both have the same Quran, the same text. Most likely, whatever you know is haram and halal. Like, I know that as well. Yeah. You don't have to, like, dumb it down for me. And I don't then, think they've studied, like, prominent female figures and their roles. Because I don't think they even take the time yeah. out to do that. They know, they everyone knows Khadija exists. Like, and by like, association. By association. But what about her? What What lessons can we draw from her? Because... Obviously, all the prophets are role models that we should, like, draw yeah, lessons so. from. But also, there are women that have been mentioned in, in our religion. Yeah. And they're mentioned for a reason. We should take the time out to research and learn about them. It's, if anything, that would bring us closer. It would bring it would bring women and gender... Or even and men. And men. Women and men closer to the religion. Because they also have stories and life lessons that we can all learn from and apply. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, then it pushed me closer to the religion. Yeah, it did. Coincidentally. In, in certain about in, it. Inadvertently. But yeah. Yeah, I mean, when you see these dumb posts, it just makes you want to fact check them. Especially because it's not Cause, like... Because Islam yeah. can't be that way. Yeah, you know? exactly. Yeah. Like, if you see a post and it sounds wrong... Then it is. It most likely is wrong. Like, it doesn't... If it sounds like you don't have equal rights... <laughs> yeah. Or any identity... Yeah, then it's no. wrong. <laughs> But yeah, about what you were saying, generally the people that surrounded the prophets, like even if they weren't prophets themselves, like men or women, we can learn a lot from them. So it's just, it's better to contextualize the whole journey of the prophet in terms of his, their interactions with other people around mm-hmm. them, and especially women. Yeah. Because in those days, I don't think they really valued women. I mean, they we still don't really, but we've somehow progressive a little bit have we like we i mean they don't bury their daughter true anymore true but they act like they're buried i guess or i mean in, in some cultures still like to give to give birth to a daughter isn't that like appreciated bro you can even you know see, you see it see in those gender reveals i was just gonna mention that i was like you can see even with people where they're like where it's a gender reveal the and, and the girl it like it's predicted to be a girl and the guy and the dad's upset i'm the dad's like, like i'm like kicking the air he's like upset i'm like you know your daughter's gonna see this, bro. Yeah. Like, like, why are you acting like it's a disappointment to have it's, a girl, yeah. or like, at least it's a disappointment and not a shame. Remember, we were just talking about how, like, downstairs with my mom about how in some like parts of Egypt where they don't, yeah, they where, don't, they don't where they don't give women, um, they don't give the daughters part of the of the will of the part of the inheritance, yeah. which is haram, obviously. Yeah, obviously but it's haram. Like, apparently they do that because um, the. If she's married, the husband will just take over the inheritance. I think it's, like, an upper side. Uh, yeah, it's wrong, but, like, it doesn't make sense because she's yeah. still attached. Like, there's still her family identity. Yeah. Like, this goes again to, like, just, like, annihilating annihilating her identity. Because she's just associated to her husband now. What about her family? What about her? Yeah, what, what about, what about her? her? She's just someone's wife now. Yeah. Okay, so, so, so far we've spoken about women's roles in different settings and communities but we haven't exactly spoken about our own 
experiences in our current setting, which is university. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to let Hannah go first because she's been in university longer as a hijabi. Mm-hmm. I've only recently worn the hijab and I actually haven't attended university as like a visibly Muslim woman. So I think Hannah has more to comment on this part. And we also both attend university in Canada. the West. Yeah. Yeah. So... So what's the question? <laughs> <laughs> like, the question is basically, like, how Muslim. has your, like, you being a visibly Muslim woman, because also lived in an Arab country yeah. majority of your life, mm-hmm. or all of your life, basically, yeah. and you've only, and it was, when you went to university, it was your first time leaving this, like, you, it was your first time leaving an Arab country and going to... And living in a... Yeah. In the Western country. And yeah. It, yeah, it was your first time going to a Western country and it was specifically for the purpose of university. Yeah, education. So did you feel like you had a lot of expectations family-wise, culturally? I mean, not family-wise, but I guess when I think back on my first year, I think, I mean, in general, I'm a very like hyper-aware person of other people's perceptions of me, but there it was like more so like how I'm being perceived while I'm a hijabi, like with every interaction, I just wanted people to know that, like, I, it felt like I was trying to prove myself to everyone else because it felt like maybe you were actively fighting against like people's Islam like fo- <laughs> people's like stereotypes of hijabi Muslim women or yeah. just Muslim women in general. Like it's, that was yeah. on your shoulders, basically. Yeah. Like especially in um, you know those, those courses where like they're majority men, so just being there as a hijabi. And just interacting with other people. Yeah, it was just constantly me trying to prove myself and trying to put out a positive perception of hijabi women. Like not in the not in the way that because I guess I've also maybe subconsciously like absorbed those um you know, those cultural beliefs that like all all hijabi women are submissive, dumb. They're just going to get married mm. and so on. So I guess that was the majority of it. But I was also a bit shy, so <laughs> it was kind of hard to do that. But I tried my best. Yeah. And that's what matters. Yeah, it does. Yeah. Like it's even even participating in that like the conference talk. Mm-hmm. The only reason I did that the only reason that um That like pushed you to do it? Yeah. Like because social anxiety, but mm-hmm. the only reason I actually presented a speech was to show people that, yeah, also hijabi women um, talk at conferences. And thankfully, there was another yeah. hijabi woman as well. And it was really interesting. But yeah, that that's basically... Yeah, I don't really... I don't yeah. have a similar experience. But, I mean, in my... Okay, in my... But you did... Um, in my... Yeah? You, you, people knew you were a Muslim. People knew I was a Muslim because I made it like, yeah. known in conversation. Like exactly. any opportunity I had, yeah, I'm Muslim. Like, <laughs> like I just had to let them know that I was. But simultaneously, like I, I acknowledge that that was also like an easy way out because while they did see me as a Muslim, I don't know why I have like I've never been asked this question more in my life until I went to Canada, which is, are you religious? Like, yeah. they would tell me, I would tell them, like, oh, I'm Muslim. And then go, like, oh, are you religious? Which is their, like, roundabout way of asking if I'm practicing. But, 
like it's like degrees of I, I don't really like there's like degrees of practicing religiosity and degrees of religiosity but all they really wanted to know was like for example did if you I, assimilate did I pray did I fast like I was like so they're basically they, they turn being religious I hate this term yeah, yeah. <laughs> I hate the term That's religious another story it's basically but it's basically to me it's just a quantifiable term mm-hmm. Which religion or being religious isn't something that's quantifiable. Yes, there are certain acts that we do to devote ourselves to God and connect our, and strengthen our spiritual connection with God. But those those acts or the number of acts I do doesn't equate how religious I am. You should judge, Uslan, if you're going to judge anyone, how re- like quote unquote religious they are should be, for me, is dependent on their character. Because you could you could go see someone pray and you could see them do all these like supposedly religious acts yeah but you don't you don't know their intention only god knows their intention or so for me that's not a strong indicator of someone's relationship with their religion it's more so in conversation but also Mm -hmm. it doesn't really matter to me what somebody's relationship with their religion is unless they want to make it known to me like Mm -hmm. if they want to have like the kind of conversation that we are having because yeah. it's beneficial in that way. Like, what knowledge would I gain from someone's Thing spiritual is, connection with God? I don't think I don't think it's actually like their fault. I think it's like the the Muslim community's fault of mm. the people who go there, and they're not like I think they've been like the religion has been like shoved up their throats their whole life. So like they go there, and I guess they try to assimilate. So when asked, they're like, "Oh, I'm Muslim, but I'm not really religious." Oh, yeah. So th- that's how they present themselves. Because they don't want to be portrayed in a particular... Yeah. Yeah, so I it's, agree. It's like them... Basically, it's a roundabout way of them asking you, are you sort of like us? An like, extreme- you are you an extremist? <laughs> you- <laughs> Can we go to the club with you? Yeah, ba- basically, yeah. like, I think... Like, anyway, I've, I've actually been mostly asked that question by people who identify as Muslim. Yeah, exactly. The first time I was asked that question was by a Muslim, and I was like... I was like, sister, what are you? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, what do you mean? I was like, um, I don't know. <laughs> like, what do you mean by Only that? God knows. Yeah, like, like I, like I never know how to answer that question. It depending on the t- like the type of mood I'm in and the day it is, you might yeah. catch me like in a rant. But other times I'm just like, no, nah, no, nah. <laughs> just like yeah, yeah, whatever. <laughs> just like, but um, so. But back to what you were saying. Like, so in that way, like, I have gone in a way where some people feel more comfortable, like, non-Muslims feel comfortable talking to me about religion Mm -hmm. because they know I'm Muslim, but also I'm presenting myself in a particular way that's, like, digestible to them. Like, it's easily approachable. So I guess in that way, it's, like, advantageous. But also, like, the major downfall or the major drawback to not wearing hijab in university that I found was I couldn't connect or like if I saw other hijabis they didn't really know that I was mm-hmm. a hijab a hijabi yeah. they didn't really know that I was Muslim yeah which for me I felt sort of like I felt this really is... disconnected from mm-hmm. the Muslim community over there um it's like an instant identifier yeah so like that instant identification was just wasn't there and it's not like I can walk around like I'm Muslim, I'm Muslim, like, on every greeting, like, so, that, mostly, I did feel really, I felt disconnected, but not from the religion, but from the community, Mm -hmm. 
and it's not the community's fault it was more so it was just me like yeah. um so that's also like when i decided to wear the hijab recently i had been going back and forth about it for like four years basically when i first had the thought it was like in 12th i told hada actually <laughs> it was like in 12th grade i was like i'm gonna wear the hijab right. and but then i was like i don't feel like Confident? I, I don't know. I don't feel like I have the right to wear it because, mm-hmm. like, this is the way I was thinking about it was wrong. But I couldn't undo this thinking. But basically, the way I was thinking about it was, you have to be at a certain point religiously to earn the right to wear it. But I didn't think about that for other hijabis. I just thought about that for me. I'm mm-hmm. like, you don't. Me, I don't deserve to wear it. I mean, until I'm at that point. I mean, I wore it in tenth grade. <laughs> I and I don't think. Yeah, it's yeah. not like you just you come to a standstill when yeah. once you wear it, but. I couldn't undo that thinking. Like, you... Yeah, I, I get what you're saying. But with me, it was like, you, you grow volumes, like, wearing it. Because um, for me, when I wore it, I was like... It was like, okay, I'll take on this test that, mm-hmm. like... It's it's a fault. Like, like it's expected of me from God. And it's, it's a step closer to God. And I f- felt like... That time, I guess, I was really, like, disconnected. And I was like, okay, I guess going on this journey will help me get closer closer to god so that's why i was like okay i'll just do it now and by the way i guess it's easier if you just get used to it in school after that it's like like i've been told by other people that it gets harder and harder like people who wore it later mm-hmm. they're like it's i don't know i don't know if that's true but yeah i was like let's just do it i think maybe because it probably it might get harder to convince to, yourself yeah. to wear it because you've gone so long without wearing yeah, it yeah. but i don't necessarily i don't like not religiously, but it's yeah, just yeah. harder. But I don't, I don't know how much I believe that. Like, if you're in a continuous state of like wanting to, of self improvement and wanting to improve your connection with God, mm-hmm. I think as a woman that dressing, dressing modestly or wearing the hijab, like yeah. you don't, you don't need to wear the hijab to dress modestly. Definitely like plays on your mind. But mm-hmm. anyway, because I couldn't undo that thinking, I was just like, okay, I'll just wait. And once I'm at a point spiritually, like, where I feel like I deserve to wear it, then I'll wear it. So my first year came, and I was like, it was like a slump, <laughs> yeah, religiously, like, that connection like connection with um, God. Mm-hmm. And then my second year kind of got up a bit, like, but it wasn't, I, it was just passive. Like, my second year, it wasn't, like, strength, it wasn't strengthening or it wasn't weakening. It was just, Plateau. like, yeah, I just, <laughs> my relationship yeah. with religion just plateaued. And then when I came back here... For my third year because of covid um so covid was a blessing i don't i don't know if it was specifically about here but more so just what i what i went through mm. um like i think everyone has gone through something difficult during this time yeah what i went through really like like strengthened my relationship or it didn't strengthen my relationship with god but i mean it did I don't know if that's a word, but I, I, I started to feel more spiritually in tuned mm-hmm. or like actively seeking religion as a way to cope or as a, as a way to heal and like learn, mm-hmm. but not, not in the way that people usually portray it. Like, I don't think like usually when we talk about religion being like turning to religion in a difficult time, we mm-hmm. only do it as we only talk about it as, as if it's a remedy like you're just gonna get some miracle, like, like some yeah. miracle divine intervention. All your troubles and all your worries will yeah. go away, which is the wrong way to approach it. And like, and that's how I approached it in my first year. And all that, 
all I ended up with was just frustration because I wasn't, I wasn't healing. I wasn't going anywhere. It just felt like, like, what am I doing this for? But this time around, I was doing like equal, equal effort to attempt to get myself out of the situation while simultaneously turning to God to help me, to help ease this time period for me. So tawakkul. To, yeah. Not tawakkul. Basically doing your part while also relying on God, which is tawakkul. Mm-hmm. And tawakkul isn't, is, is basically what you were doing in your first year. God will fix it. Yeah. Yeah. So that was basically it. And then once, once I had come to the decision to do Back from Fajr, basically pushed me to approach religion on my own. Like, how am I going to go about researching about religion or what, which ways am I going to implement it personally, not with, because when we're younger, mm-hmm. our parents or like people who Just are older general, than us yeah. are the ones who usually talk to us about religion. Mm-hmm. But I think, but I think it's necessary that every Muslim at some point ends up pursuing religious, um, like knowledge about Islam and just religious knowledge on their own. I agree. Because some sometimes unintentionally the authority figures will, they'll talk about Islam in a way that relates to them. They'll like, project, yes, yeah. They'll project. So, which is fine, like as long as they're not, as long as they're not spreading any misconceptions. Yeah. But also sometimes they may be speaking about it in a way that doesn't relate to Boomers. you. Or doesn't, sorry? <laughs> Boomers. Boomer, yeah. <laughs> that doesn't like, um, that doesn't connect with you in that yeah. particular moment in time. So that's why it's necessary for you to go on your own like spiritual journey. And we're basically. also like, we're also like told to, like encouraged to do that in Islam. You're supposed to go, like even if you're born Muslim, that's a huge privilege. But the the test here is to like, carry on your whole life and find the religion for yourself Mm -hmm. so why is this the truth and why should i follow it you should be following it not because you were born into it but because you willingly chose to like submit to god in this particular way and And, follow islam yeah and that's why that term religious comes in yeah just born muslim but not not practicing yeah so all of that and then i was ready to wear that am i talking about the hijab too much Anyway, but, um, <laughs> so when, <laughs> when, and then when I had come to terms that I wanted to wear it, I then started to go through stages of, like, not talking myself out of it, but pushing it back. Yeah. I was like, okay, once I graduate university, once I, once I had, I'm like, okay, well, I'm at a point spiritually where I want to wear it, mm-hmm. but now, okay. I'll wear it, inshallah, after I graduate university. Because I'm like, oh, I don't want to fix it. <laughs> it was, like, very, People's like... perception. It was very, like, sub, like um, minor minuscule. reason. Like, <laughs> minuscule. But in my in my head at the time, I was like, oh, okay, that sounds valid. <laughs> I was like, you have to... You're like, oh, you're going to have to fix all your, like, documents. Like, your government documents, your IDs and whatever. And I'm like... But to me, I was like, okay, so, inshallah, when I graduate university... I'll do it after. Like, I'll move to a new place and I'll do it then. And then I was like, oh, okay. Like, um, basically got an opportunity that would put me in a position to be interacting with other students mm-hmm. and perceived by formally. them. Yeah, formally and to be perceived by them in a particular way. So I was like, okay. So yeah, I was basically thinking that would be really, really significant. Mm-hmm. Or I've been, I've been granted this opportunity to finally... To portray Muslim women in a particular way like this it's like the same reasoning as to why you did the conference yeah like in in that sense 
and then I basically I had come a, I was writing a paper at the time about the illusion of the self yeah. <laughs> and I had and I had done like a little bit of a deep dive on the Islamic self which I won't get into now but there was in a, a later episode in a later episode yeah <laughs> I had come across this quote or I come across this paper that was basically talking about how the Islamic self can be portrayed in two different ways. One is like the individual's personal connection with God. Mm-hmm. And the other is that every every Muslim belongs to the ummah, which is just the, like the general, like it's basically the Muslim community. Mm-hmm. Without us initiating, into, like we, there are no steps that we need to take to become part of that community. Just by following the religion, we are part of the ummah. Yeah. So there's also the collective self, which is spoken about a lot in Islam. So my thinking was basically, if I wear the hijab, regardless, I am part, we are part of the ummah. Yeah, but by me wearing the hijab, like, I'm not just doing it for myself. I'm also doing it for the, the community, the community, like yeah. the collective. And that's basically what just pushed me to wear it. So yeah. then... I was planning on wearing end of Ramadan, and then I was like, at this point, I'm already there mentally. Yeah. So I might as well just wear it. And then... And then we went out, and you And then we it. went out, yeah. <laughs> the next day, and I wore it, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. Anyway. That was a lot of hijab <laughs> talk. But I think that's fine, because it also it also goes with what we were talking about, uh, about how a Muslim woman is expected to act. One of, one of the factors that people often push is... Is she modest? Is she wearing the hijab? Like along along with her personality traits that we talked about, but her outer um, appearance is often like scrutinized heavily mm-hmm. by everyone. Which is like I think, yeah. Sorry, I cut you off. No, um, I I know what you're going to say. It's it's very like it's between you and God, and doing that aslan like, drives people away. Like if if someone's wear starting to wear modest. And just like wears a turban, for example, or just like covers their hair, and people are like, "You might as well just take it off." That's that's not what we're advised to do. If you're halfway there, then go, then push them to go forward, or like your your advice first of all is not solicited. <laughs> oh God, it's bro. not. If if it's not someone close to you and it's a stranger on the internet saying it to you in public, that's haram. Yeah, but. Telling her to take it off is like regressing. Like, mm-hmm. what? What's the? What's the? Where's the progress? I think yeah, because a woman, no, your relationship with your hijab is like deeply personal. personal. Yeah. First of all, it's not just outer; it's inner as well. Like, also, men have a like hijab, hijab, hijab to the heart as yeah, well. Yeah. So it's. I don't think anyone should force the woman to wear the hijab, and also no one should comment on whether she deserves to keep wearing it or not. Because what they don't realize... Especially her family, by the way. Yeah. Her I, closest... I think we were both blessed, alhamdulillah, that our parents never, like, forced us to wear it or... Like, my parents actually never mentioned talking about it at all. They never spoke about it to me. They were just like... I just came up to them and was like, yeah, I want to wear it. And they're like, okay. <laughs> actually, my dad my dad used to, like... Because when I was small, he, he was, like, introducing it to me. I was like... Mm. But it, introducing it is, like, different from, like... Yeah, yeah, like... You have to wear it. You're going to wear it. Now. Yeah, that's, like... Because that already starts your relationship with your hijab at a bad note. Like, you were forced... Also, you know in Western media when <laughs> when the girl just takes off her hijab? When, yeah. Yeah. It's, like, enforcing that. Yeah, basically. But from your own community. Which is, yeah, anyway... Problematic. 
it. And also when people comment online on like these instant like these hijabi influencers pose, they're like you're wearing it wrong or mm. like just yeah, like basically just take, just take it, it, off. it off. Like what they don't realize is that there are other Muslim girls reading those comments mm-hmm. which steers them away. If they were thinking about wearing the hijab when they realize how like heavily scrutinized like scrutinized they're yeah. they're going they're going to be, why would they want to wear it? Exactly. Like you're like you you also like even though you're a guy or like even if you don't wear it, if you're a woman and you don't if wear the hijab, any comments that you make indirectly affect any other Muslim woman who happens to, who has the like unfortunate, or like, even people like looking to convert. How strict are they gonna be on me? Exactly. What like, is the community like? Like social media is now a reflection. Like, like there's an online Muslim community. Mm-hmm. So how you're carrying yourself isn't isn't, and especially if you're carrying yourself as a Muslim, and you're giving advice Influencer. or or yeah. How you carry yourself isn't just a reflection of you. It's a reflection of, of the ummah. Like, it's un- yeah. like whether you like it or not, you benefit from it. And you also, there are disadvantages to it as well. Yeah. So that's how I felt in university, even though, like, I'm, I'm a nobody, you know. But people with, like, a large following yeah. have an even larger responsibility. <laughs> I guess we can stop here. Basically, to conclude mm-hmm. this segment or this episode, whether you're a Muslim woman wearing the hijab or you're not, or you're a non-hijabi, your religiosity, your re- let's say. Your religios... Because um, that's the term they use. And your, they immediately connote it to, like, first first vis- visibly, and then... Um, yeah. In our, because visibly is what... Like, as women, first of all, like, you're, you're more the face of the religion than Muslim men. The hijab is, like, a symbol of Islam. Yeah. So... Yeah, that's how they connote it, I guess. So basically, whether no matter no, it's fine. Yeah. No matter how you choose to portray yourself, like as a Muslim woman, as hard as it is, your relationship and your connection with God is a personal mm-hmm. is a personal journey, mm-hmm. which doesn't mean that you can't you can't reach out to other people to help aid you in this journey. But like your spiritual connection is something that mm-hmm. you should nurture, and you should take joy in nurturing it. There are many, like, there are many ways you can go about it. Don't restrict yourself because of cultural boundaries. And also the reason that we mentioned Khadija, radiallahu anha, is um, basically she's just someone else to look up to that's, that's also similar to you, in a sense. Because obviously, I guess that that's also why I'm kind of doing this podcast with you. That, that's why I decided to do it, because... I mean, listening to all of these sheikhs is obviously, like, beneficial. They're all, they're all scholars. But when you're not, like, relating to someone, I was going to say epistemically, epistemically <laughs> like, through, like, experientially, and they, they don't know, like, they, they're, they're aware of what you're, of what you might go through, but they don't really know because they're, they're not, like, in your position. I think it's you, just, yeah. Like, she's, she's a good role model of, an important how a Muslim woman mind mind blank how how Muslim woman can can carry herself yeah like how a Muslim woman can carry can carry herself or should carry herself like Khadija is often portrayed like as a one dimensional character yeah. but she has all these characteristics that we can draw from mm-hmm. which we hope we've highlighted in this episode but <laughs> yeah but the I'm I'm saying that shouldn't only apply it okay. to to Wait. women yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah, but they're not aware of what you go through, like, experientially. I was analyzing my media consumption, and I wanted something to relate to because I was, like, in a bad place spiritually, and I just needed that 
thing to pull me back. And I actually recommended that I listen to on a C talk. And they're, mashallah, they're like big sisters. I mean, they're way older and a lot more have a lot more yeah, life experience than we have, do. Have a lot more life experience, <laughs> but it's just. I hope that we also have that influence by by talking about these topics without having that much life experience. Like just growing while we're while we're doing this yeah. podcast. And that's why we're also like drawing on examples from prominent like female figures because we need we need more of that and we need to be educated about that. Because when I was small I only knew that she was the prophet's wife, but I guess symbolically she's really significant because she was also the first ever follower. Period. Like she wasn't the first female follower. She was the first. Period. <laughs> she was the first follower of yeah. Islam. So I guess God did that symbolically. Mm-hmm. And um, I have nothing more to say. <laughs> so on that note, concluding our the first, first episode of Back from Fajr, we hope you guys enjoy. This has been kind of um, it's our first episode, so it's been a so we've sort of jumped around from topic to topic, but we hope we got across. The message. The general message. The general message that we were trying to convey. And we'd love to know what you guys have to say. And yeah. We hope everyone got something out of this. Men and women. Men yeah, men, <laughs> men and, and women. Men and women. <laughs> okay. We hope we hope this episode was, was informative and helpful. Anyway, we will see you in the next one, inshallah. Um, Salam. Bye. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> the last part. Oh my-